Welcome to Adoption Now, sharing real stories of the joys and challenges of adoption. Now here's the host of Adoption Now, April Fallon. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today I have my husband on the show, Noah. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. And we also have our adoption lawyer in Florida, Christine Thurman. Christine, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me as well. I'm so excited to have you both on here. You know, as promised, we're going to tell our story that's going on right now, our current situation. Those of you who have listened to our program, you know that Noah and I have said yes to six infants and finalized on three. So we definitely know the joy and challenges of adoption. And during this time that we were adopting these children, um, I was working for CBS Channel 4. I was on TV and doing radio, and God started to impress in my heart to start an adoption program. And so as soon as we were done with our last adoption, we closed our home study, and we jumped right into starting adoption now. And it has been an amazing journey. We have 40 stories available on iTunes for listeners to be encouraged and to connect and to hear about adoption. But what we did not plan is that we were going to be going through an adoption while we were trying to start this program. So here we are. We're in the midst of chaos. If those of you are following us on Facebook or you're listening through podcasts, um, it's, it's very challenging right now, but we do see God in our midst, and we see him doing great things. And so today we just want to share the journey. The journey is not over. The baby is not home, and we don't really know how that's going to end, but we'd just like to talk about where we're at. So Noah, let's just talk about the very beginning. Our youngest daughter's birth mother contacted us and said, I'm pregnant. Yeah, it was crazy. We had, as you mentioned, already closed our home study. So for me, when you brought that to my attention, I thought, no, there's there's just no way we can do that. We've got three little kids. We had definitely talked about in the future, maybe three to five years later, mm-hmm. looking at adopting again or even getting into the foster care system. But um, when that <laughs> opportunity came up, I basically said, there's no way. Yeah, because we were didn't have anything prepared. We were enjoying our three little ones. And so when she told us that, it was like, well, I don't know if we can do it. But we didn't say no. No, we didn't say no. We just basically said um, from previous history with her, we just have to kind of let the process start moving along. But we had very little communication from her and we didn't have any paperwork. We honestly didn't even know if she was really pregnant. Right. And we didn't even know who the birth father was. I think, didn't she tell us that it was one person and then later on it was a different one. And so we were really kind of up in the air about a lot of different things. And then we found out it was twins. She told us it was twins. (laughs) So then we're like two babies. I mean, it was... It was just crazy. And so we were trying to process, God, what do you want us to do? Because in adoption, when a situation is handed to you, it's really hard just to say, no, that's not for us, especially when it's a sibling. Yeah, especially when it's a sibling. And I think that was the first kind of piece of what God had done in my heart to open up. Even the thought of this again was the recognition that this is potentially even 100% biological sibling of our youngest. At first, that was not a big issue to me. I thought, well, as, at least if she placed with another family, we could have contact. But really through the show, there have been so many stories where parents have gone above and beyond to keep the siblings together. And that really inspired me to start praying and start saying, okay, God, if you want us to do this, the, the dots have to connect. I mean, we have to, to know. And they weren't. She wasn't talking to us. She was about 
seven months pregnant, I guess, when she reached out in January and just said, you know, are you guys willing to adopt? And we said, yeah, we're considering it, but we need these certain things from you. And she didn't get them to us. And so we, again, went silent. And in February, she called us crying and said, you know, I, I beg you to consider keeping them together. And we said, well, where are you at right now in your pregnancy? Where, when are you due? And she was due in March, March 24th. And so she said, you know, but I went to, a, to the lawyer that we worked with before. And we were like, okay, well, if you already signed on with a lawyer, what is he saying? And she said, well, I have told him I want the siblings together and he wants to match me to a different family. And so I contacted him and said, what is going on here? If she is telling you that she wants the siblings together, why would you bring in another family? And he said, well, I know you don't want to work with me. Right. And so my next question was, well, if you know that, why would you not at least call us and try to find another lawyer? I mean, isn't what she wants important to you? Right. The, the ethical question always comes up, especially in this kind of a circumstance where, you know, we, we had already discussed that we didn't really want to work with this attorney if there was any future adoptions. And I think he kind of had that same feeling too. But just the ethical mindset of saying, hey, this birth mom has requested the siblings be together, just even a simple email saying, this is what's happening. What can we do to make sure that this happens? So we contacted our families, first of all, and told them, hey, we think we might go down the adoption journey again. They were incredibly supportive. And we contacted our agency and said, would you do a updated home study for us? Would you reopen our home study so that we could potentially adopt this baby? They said, absolutely. They've done it before. They've been involved in every single one of our adoptions. So they know us pretty well and how things happen. And so they started to get to work on that. But the huge problem that we had is how are we going to find a lawyer that we feel really good about? And do we have any connections? And through Adoption Now, and, um, you know, our friends, we started contacting everyone and saying, do you know a lawyer in Florida who's honest and who would help us and who would jump into this in the middle of complete chaos and another lawyer is involved, which makes it even more difficult. And our friend said, you should contact Christine Thurman. And so we did. And I thought, she's going to think I'm so crazy. I mean, I'm just going to throw this on her and ask her if she'll help us. And will this woman even consider it. And so we called you, Christine. Yes, you did. On February 2nd, it looks like we started the, the back and forth communication on what this might look like. What were you thinking? Well, in all of my adoption cases, and I've been doing this since 2004, um, when, when cases come in, birth moms often come to us from very different places in life, from different financial backgrounds, um, often mental health, drug exposure, um, so you always you know, have to be, one, prepared mentally and emotionally when you get a call late into a pregnancy, and I'm going to consider this late into a pregnancy, especially when you hear that a birth mom was previously placed. Um, and so when we finally connected and we talked on the phone, I believe it was a Friday afternoon, you kind of gave me some of the background, and, you know, it's always heartbreaking. You hear these, you know, the circumstances, the situations, and then, of course, when I jumped into the situation and I took my staff over to meet with the birth mom, you know, that's always an eye-opener um, as to what the true circumstances are, and it's, it's more compelling to stay involved and to make the match and to facilitate the placement, if at all possible, especially in a circumstance we have like this, where we have a birth mom, where we have a sibling that will be a full sibling, and despite 
um, some of the, and I'm going to say misinformation. I don't want to assume that anybody is intentionally misrepresented to you guys as well as to my staff as to some of the issues. Displacement's been especially challenging, um, and I believe it's because our birth mom um, has history in placement, so she does understand the system. She has worked with a law firm in the past. She understands some of the uh, allowances that are allowed under Florida law, and I believe based on a, a relationship that you guys have experienced with her in the past, this placement feels different. And I've heard both of you say to me, this is different than our last placement. Um, of course, I don't have that history. Um, so I'm going on a day-to-day -day basis with this birth mom um, and watching how the situation, and I say it evolves daily. I mean, we've been at the top of the roller coaster and down at the bottom of the roller coaster almost every single week since we started this process. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe, you know, as with all adoption, there's no guarantees until after, you know, that baby's born, making sure that we had full information. We still don't have full information, and that's very scary. Um, we, you know, you hope that the child is receiving some level of prenatal um, treatment and care, that birth mom's taking care of herself, that she's accurately representing to us when her doctor's appointments are, and then, you know, representing to us if there are other issues going on, like we have in this situation where she's indicated she's got some medical issues going on, but, but is not being real forthcoming with us as to what they are. Um, so that has put some additional stress, and, and, and it's, you know, we're prepared. We're going to be here. I'm going to be with you guys through this process, but it is a day-to-day. -day and April, when you first called me, you indicated she had never, at least to your knowledge, had not gone full term with her previous children. Mm -hmm. So with this placement, different than many of my others, we are on you know a day-to-day check-in. Has she gone into the hospital? Has she delivered and has she called us? Based on some of the facts and circumstances in her life, we have different phone numbers and different people in which to try to reach her, and that changes. Mm -hmm. So that your case, of course, being you know it's the, the, the journey that we're on and the purpose we're here, we'll, we may not know for a long time, but it's going to be a wonderful opportunity. We're going to have a story to tell at the end of this, and I'm still confident and I'm hopeful that this placement is going to you know finish out and this, this baby is going to go home with you and your husband. I have so many things I want to say. First of all, I want to say that everything you just said are all the red flags in a birth mother that we try to warn families against. Don't say yes to a birth mother that has several different phone numbers if she won't let you know about any medical history. I mean, all these things. And so people have said to us, basically, what are you guys holding on to? Everything you warn other families to get out of. And it is because it's a sibling that we're hanging on. It is because we have prior history and we're hoping for the best. But really, honestly, Christine, it's because we have you. And one of the things that changed for me is when I called you and I said, here's our situation. You know, I mean, we've got this other lawyer involved. We've got this other poor family involved. And I just don't know what we're doing exactly. You said to me, well, good news. I actually place babies, but I am not a full-time adoption lawyer. I am a family practice lawyer. And so this is not my, my bread and, and butter, so to speak. This is not what I do for a living. And that changed my opinion about um, the adoption industry just in general, because there are people out there, you gave me hope again, that are trying to help families. They're not in it for the money. Of course, you do hire a lawyer and you pay a lawyer, but you are not in it so that you can make a ton of money. And, you know, with a, a $12 billion industry like adoption, it's easy to become very wealthy off of adoptions. Don't you agree? 
I do agree. And, and in Florida, and, and I don't practice when I say practice because I'm a bar licensed attorney in the state of Florida, I can place children in other states and I can facilitate adoptions between states, but I am not a, an agency per se. So I practice underneath my bar license in Florida, which is allowed under our statute. Um, there are many attorneys, and I say many. We are unlike some other states where we do allow Florida, uh, Florida allows attorneys to process adoptions, unlike agencies. So when a baby is born, we come in and do paperwork. The court will play, give an order to place the child with the adoptive family. I only facilitate paperwork. I have a social worker that meets with the birth mom, often the birth father if there is one, who takes paperwork in advance, who obtains medical records, who sits at the hospital with the birth mom the entirety of the period, and sometimes that's two, three, and four days. But because my social worker is a staff member of mine, but she's not in-house, she's a contract employee, she goes anywhere in the state that I send her, um, I, I'm a staff of two attorneys. We take family law cases, whether they're contested adoptions, uh, 751, which is grandparent relative placement of children, whether the parents can keep the child or not. We do other areas of family law, like divorce and domestic violence. So placements and doing adoption work for me, it is a beautiful part of my practice. And there is no greater joy than bringing families together. So often I'm tearing families apart for various reasons. So because of my, my Christianity and my faith, I believe it's very important to try to keep families together and to make and create families for people who so desperately want children. Um, I have seen this industry evolve over the last, what, 13, almost 14 years. There are changes in the state of Florida from our major child placing agency. It's called Children's Home Society. It is our government um, liaison to the Department of Children and Families because of the amount of litigation that has occurred in adoptive placements throughout the state. Our major agency that places children has decreased and terminated most of the offices, even in the North Florida area, shipping most of the cases to Jacksonville. What that has done is open up a vacuum or created a vacuum where the other agencies that have been kind of on the uh, forefront of placement are now stepping forward even more. They are increasing the cost of adoption. Um, even yesterday, I, I was in court. I heard two cases. I heard the court approving uh, expenses for placement, those costs were around $45,000 oh for both goodness. cases. And I understand each case has lots of different factors that may explain and they try to justify those costs, but that, that's, I don't want it to look like we are, we are buying and selling children. Right. Very few families can afford this type of cost. So our practice, my focus will continue to be to keep costs down, knowing that we do have some cases where we have birth moms who need living expenses and they need, they need help with transportation. They need, need help with health insurance and prenatal care, and we've got to apply for Medicaid or some sort of emergency health insurance. There are lots of expenses associated with adoption that can't be controlled. One of the major controls, though, is the cost that you pay to your agency or to your attorney. There are lots of options out there, and I'm going to continue to keep that cost down to the extent that I can. Christine, isn't there a state law that says it's for the mother expenses, it's only $5,000, and you have to get approval for anything above that? Yeah, in the state of Florida, uh, any, and it's total cost, that includes home studies, that includes any cost associated over $5,000, you have to petition the court before the finalization of the adoption, and you have to provide an affidavit of fees and expenses. The court doesn't ask for receipts, but the, the judges do want to see a breakdown of where these costs are going and how these costs were incurred. Uh, honestly, on this, 
what I generally see across the panhandle, the judges that I'm in front of on a consistent basis, they want to see your fee contract. They want to see what you spent on birth mom expenses. They want to make sure that there's no lump sum cash being provided after consents are obtained, which in the state of Florida is 48 hours after the baby's born, unless the hospital has discharged the birth mom earlier than that. They're looking to make sure, even on interstate compact cases, that we are not sending a check across state lines just to justify the placement. So, yeah, anything over $5,000, what I haven't heard, I've never heard a judge deny and approve an order of fees and expenses, no matter what the total is. Really? An interesting thing that I've learned through the show is Colorado does not work like that. So anybody listening to this show right now from Colorado is going to just their jaw is going to go to the ground to think that birth mothers get any money and especially that much money. So it's different here. A lot of people go to Florida because it's 48 hours when they sign off rights. Here in Colorado, uh, it, it could be two weeks, you actually don't finalize until six months. And so it is very difficult for a family in that time to be waiting to see if an aunt is going to come out or is the mom going to change her mind. And so people leave and go to other states that they feel safer with adoption. Only the back end is that in Colorado, you don't get, you don't pay any birth mother fees, right? And so in Florida, there's more placements and you can get caught into this ring of paying a lot of money and the moms are demanding it. And And so one of the things I hear people say is, well, the reason why I went to this lawyer is because they have so many placements. But the thing I love about you, Christine, is that you have placed 22 babies in the last year, just over a year. That's a lot of placements, and you're keeping the cost low. I think that's something that we're so blessed with, too, to have met you, because I've always said to April, you know, there's such a a fine line between the law and ethics, right? The law says one thing, but then you can push that from an ethical standpoint um, we've heard birth mothers getting substantial lump sums in Florida after placement has happened. So somehow there's this ethical guideline that you have been able to follow. You keep your fees down and you still place babies. It's not like you've placed two or three in the last year. Right. And, and that will continue to be the practice that I, I will maintain. Um, what I have found uh, Many of the agencies build into their fee contracts, at least in the state of Florida, a lot of the cost of advertising. For example, billboards, internet banner ads, um, you know, all the phishing services that they reach out to. There's all kind of built-in advertising costs, which to their defense is an astronomical fee. For example, what used to be the front page of a yellow page ad in the phone book was $150,000. Well, the only way to pay this type of advertising cost, not even including the billboards, is to build that into your fees. I have taken the position as I'm not going to advertise beyond my Facebook, but beyond social media and the general word of mouth. Um, I'm not going to do it. And by taking that is I'm going to act under grace. I'm going to take that the, you know, that my God, my Jesus is going to send the babies that he wants me to have, and he's going to help me facilitate that placement to the family that's supposed to have the baby. And if I take that position, I don't have to advertise. I don't, I, I got a God that's bigger than all of this. So if I continue to keep that as my focus, then the fees can stay down. And I've got staff that, of course, I've got other cases, significant other cases that do help offset some of um, the cost for adoption. But in the state of Florida, we are unlike other states in that birth moms can receive expenses. Um, it can even be done by contract prior to placement, although Every contract in Florida has to say, no matter how much money is given to you prior to consents being taken, that is not a guarantee for consent. And mm-hmm. this is one of the downsides in Florida. 
So if you have a, what I'm going to call a placement agreement between your birth mom and your adoptive family that says we're going to pay X, Y, and Z, and we're going to do that prior to baby, there is no recourse if we have a birth mom who backs out at placement. I did have that for the first time in October of 2016. We had a birth mom that identified fairly early in her pregnancy. We had provided funds for over three months, including her rent and utilities. She was a very young birth mom. I believe she was 21 years old, had already had two children at that point. Birth father was living in the home with her, but they were receiving government assistance. She indicated she was going to go to college, but she was still saving up to do that. She came in and hired us um, to place and identify with the family, which is what we did. We paid her bills in kind every month straight to the utility company. We gave her grocery cards uh, every week. As soon as we got to the hospital, she brought the adoptive family into the hospital. They came, they drove over from out of town. We placed a baby in their room, um, and I'm not exactly sure what happened. I can suspect some things that went down from some family pressure she received, but after 24 hours, she decided that she wasn't going to place. So we had to go take the baby out of the room and place back in her room, and I sent my social worker back in repeatedly to make sure she understood what this meant that despite all the representations that have been given to us, despite her statements to us that she could not afford this child, despite her statements that she knew that this was the absolute best placement for this child and she was so excited, she had changed her mind. And, you know, just talking about it right now, this is it's one of the more emotional times I've had doing adoption work. I had to go back into the hospital room of the adoptive family whose faces, I mean, they were sobbing. Both of them sat down. They were shaking. They didn't understand what had changed in 24 hours. And on on top of the emotional um, vacuum that that created for everybody in the room, I had no explanation to tell them other than it appears some family pressure showed up. A relative came in and indicated that they didn't think this was the best decision. And for whatever reason, that birth mom felt that, I want to say she was seeking approval from that family member, but I couldn't ask the adoptive family uh, any questions. I couldn't give them any explanations. I couldn't explain what had happened other than, I'm really sorry. Mm -hmm. We're we're going to sit here. We're going to talk to her. But then there's that fine line of, I can't put any duress on a birth mom either. I can't go in too many times. The hospital staff is watching. But trying to tell this family, "I, I want you to have this baby but she's changed her mind. And I know how much emotional investment has gone into this, not even including the financial investment. And I have no way to get this money back. I just love your heart, the way that you tell the story. It even makes me pretty emotional myself because all of us have been, if you've been in adoption long enough, you've had a fall through probably. And it is so emotional. And to feel like somebody is with you that cares your lawyer, your social worker. It makes a world of difference, Christine. You have really helped us so much. We have to take a break. You're listening to Adoption Now. We'll be right back. This is KLTT Commerce City, Denver, broadcasting in HD digital radio and online at 670kltt.com. Hi, this is Noah, April's husband. Thank you for tuning in to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. We have seen tremendous growth in the program as millions of people have tuned in to the stories we've shared. If you've missed any of our weekly programs, you can always join our podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Just search Adoption Now and subscribe. Thank you for tuning in to this week's show, and now let's get back to the program.
Faith and Family Radio, KLT Denver. Welcome back to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today, I am joined by Noah, my husband, and our adoption attorney, Christine. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having us. I just love having you guys here because I feel, number one, in the midst of an adoption, feel very supported by Christine. And everything that she shared in the first segment is everything that adoption should be. You know, Noah, like you and I are fighting for adoption to stay pure and to stay what God intended it to be. And that's to grow families and to take care of children that need parents. And to see that it's becoming uh, almost trafficking children is really painful and really difficult to be in the midst of that. And so in our process of finding out that our youngest daughter's birth mother was pregnant and she wanted to keep the siblings together, we found Christine to represent us. And then our home study was going to be updated. Now, in the midst of that, they called us and said, we're actually closing. After 30 years, we are going to close and we cannot do your home study. So that sent us into a tailspin. We thought maybe it was over. Even though we had found Christine, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? We can't find somebody who has all the history with us. And how are they going to expedite it? But again, through Adoption Now and through the other stories that have been on our show, we contacted an agency here in Colorado, and they were awesome. They were like, absolutely, we want to also keep siblings together. We are going to pray for you guys, whatever you need. They came immediately to our house. A two-hour drive. It wasn't like they were 10 minutes down the road. They did everything. I mean, they got us in the CPR classes that we needed to get into. And Christine, you don't know this, but we were like working around the clock to get this done because if we didn't have a home study and she went into labor, there was nothing we could do. That baby would have gone right into credo care. I was very nervous based on your representations that she had not gone full term during her previous pregnancies. And I would have had to find, find uh, emergency foster care or had to find another family that had a home study that allow you to come stay in the home for a period of time until your home study was completed. Not to even mention the issues and complications we would have had with interstate compact. Right. Which would have kept you here even longer. So we were very thankful that this agency stepped in and we really felt that God was working things out and a great connection to an agency that was praying for us. And they were so kind and wonderful and checking up on us. You know, it means a lot to a family when an agency and a lawyer does their job because Believe it or not, there are people out there that take your money and they don't do their job. It's great when they do their job, but it's also great when they call you to see how you're doing emotionally and they say that they're praying for you. Don't you think that made a huge difference, Noah? Huge difference. Every time it felt like there was a door that was closed, it was so clear that God was opening a new way, um, a new relationship, a new community um, to help us continue forward with this. So our birth mother called us and said, I think I'm in labor. I remember telling you, Christine, and you're like, don't come out here. You're going to be out here forever. What if she's not? But I was so afraid because she had delivered early before that she really was. So we drove. She also had text messaged me specifically saying she was having contractions two to three minutes apart. And we thought that she was going to the hospital and they were also on board with her, you know, in labor and pre-labor. So we jumped in her car with our three kids. We drove. Noah's parents met us. And we just started this huge whirlwind of finding out um, different parts of the story. And if you have followed us at all, you know that we found out she wasn't going to the doctor, that a lot of that money that we were sending her was not going for emergency care. She was not in labor. And we really didn't know what was going on. I mean, calling Christine and saying, can you talk this through with us? We don't know if she 
is having a mental breakdown. We don't know if this is drug-induced, and she seems so livid and angry. We don't think that she wants to place with us. I mean, we feel like we're in the wrong place at the wrong time. And you helped us a lot just kind of talk through, okay, guys, these are our options. This is what we can do. I mean, what were you thinking in that two weeks that we were out there? I was really nervous, and I'm still nervous, um, because we've received so much information, contradictory information from different sources, and we had information to believe for a period of time that she may possibly be speaking to a previous family. Um, She may still be working with another agency and not telling us that she's receiving funds from other sources. And based upon her, and I'm going to call, her behavior has been erratic. Her behavior has been emotional. Her behavior has been indicative of somebody that's likely using drugs, exposed to drugs, or significant mental health impairment. I have struggled with understanding if she's even articulating to us even half-truths of information, but considering where my office is located and where this birth mom lives, I'm two and a half hours to get to her at any point. And despite the late-night texts, the late-night phone calls, the first-thing-in-the-morning phone calls, we've watched her cycle so often and we've taken some steps where we believed that we were going to address the situation by you guys coming down and you guys left with more questions than we had answers Mm -hmm. and then there was a significant delay of time between the period which she said we're leaving we're going back to a couple days ago where the whole situation has resurrected again and in, in the last 48 hours the tone and demeanor, at least in the conversation and the text messages I'm receiving, appears to be more stabilized than what we had been experiencing. I'm still concerned based on the, the, what, the context of the text I'm receiving as to what her intentions are, but I want to believe it's based out of desperation at this point, meaning her current circumstances, the number of children she has in the home, the lack of resources, that she is desperate. Um, and I want to continue. I think that, you know, getting a large amount of prayer and support around this circumstance because as y'all, y'all had previously experienced, even when she does go through delivery, she doesn't stay at the hospital long enough to get the legal papers done that have to be done under the timelines that we're required to take them in. And that's also very concerning for me to have staff two and a half hours away going over back and forth, hoping that she doesn't uh, leave the hospital against medical orders just because she's got young children at home. This is one of the large obstacles we have with birth moms who have other children, often don't have family support, they don't have resources, and they may go into labor unexpectedly. They didn't have a plan. So they may have a friend or a neighbor or even an older child watching multiple children in their home. So they will check out of the hospital. They won't even tell me or the caseworker that they're leaving. And next thing we know, we've got nurses and staff coming in and calling us and grabbing us saying, uh, your birth mom just ran out of the hospital. Mm-hmm. I do have that fear about this situation. Are you and your staff at any point, like, what have we gotten involved with? Sure. I I feel that about every other weekend. Um, Because like I said, birth moms come to us from all different circumstances. Uh, Different hospitals handle our birth moms and adoptive placements very differently. You may have a hospital that's very adoptive friendly where they're prepared. They have a caseworker internally who goes and meets with your birth mom, who makes your paperwork's done on their end, who communicates and facilitates documents, who also is very um, communicative with my social worker, with me, about any signs that they're seeing about any issues with pain meds being taken at times they shouldn't be taken, or, you know, Florida, they can't take pain medication within four hours of signing consents. They're very careful to document the charts to let us know if there's an issue with that. 
I've had hospitals who refuse to let me even talk to birth mom for a period of time who get involved and ca- cause impediments to the placement. So there's always issues. <laughs> every single placement, very few placements, do I walk in, everything's okay, there's not expenses associated, there's not an issue with a social worker. And we haven't even mentioned the ideas of putative father issues, whether it may be a birth father or a biological father or a legal father in Florida, which could be a husband who's not a true biological father and what that means for the placement. If I don't have that information very quickly and I have identified and drafted paperwork and gotten that paperwork to him, we have this placement who we call an at-risk placement, mm-hmm. meaning I place the baby in the child's home and the adoptive family has to sign a form that says, this is what we know, which is little to no information as to prenatal care, often whether or not birth mom has any uh, medical, psychological, or emotional issues that may be uh, passed along to the child. They may have identified or not identified a father that's out there, and the Florida Putative Father Registry has to be done. We have to search that. That takes two weeks. I have never had a mom that said, I don't know who it is, and I have a father that's been registered that many times they'll say, I believe I know who the dad is. And if they disclose that information to me prior to signing consent, I have to locate that father and I have to tell them there's a child has been born. Mm-hmm. So that for, for whatever period of time and it's a 30-day period, I have to wait and see if this father comes forward. And if he comes forward, what does that mean for the placement? Because that period of time, that baby's bonding in the home with the adoptive parents. Right. I remember at one point in the two weeks um, that we were out in Florida we had just gone through a huge roller coaster with our birth mom. And you said, how many times are you going to get punched in the face? You know, how many times are you going to let her just manipulate you? And you're so confused and there's all these questions. And, you know, that made me feel like you really are watching this and it's painful to watch a, a family go through this. But it also made me really question, God, if you are bringing us through this, please give us the grace to go through it because at the end of the day there's a baby's life hanging in the line we don't know what's going to happen and so help us be able to jump through all of the obstacles that you had just mentioned which happened so many times to so many different families help us have the grace to do this and help us be strong through it and we do need prayer and so when you started praying for us and you said i'm going to get all my intercessors to pray for this situation that at many times is all you have i think this is for for me going through this specific story has really increased my faith in um, everything that's outside of circumstances, right? A lot of times we want to pray and then see the circumstances change, or we want to see God move immediately and, and make it very clear of what he's doing and how he's doing it. And in, in this story, it just feels like every time the doors close, somehow they're reopened. And then like you said, Christine, up until like 48 hours ago, we basically were back off of the whole uh, adoption. We, th- we thought we're never going to hear from birth mom again and we're done. And now here we are again, trusting God that we don't know what the circumstances are going to be, but we know that this baby needs a home. Um, we, we want the siblings together. And so we're going to continue forward. So when we were in Florida, what happened is we tried to take her to the doctor and things kind of escalated and she became super upset. There's information, like you said in the beginning part of the show, Christine, that's not being told to us. And we don't know what that is. We won't know until the end, until she goes into labor. So when we finally left Florida, it was because she stopped talking to us. And there was no way to reach out to her with multiple numbers. She would shut off some phones. I mean, it became kind of a game of trying to 
call the neighbor or call her brother. And so finally we said, you know what? If she doesn't want this, this is not what we're going to press her into. So we drove home in, what was it, seven hours before we got into Colorado, she called. And mm-hmm. it had been a week of silence. And in that time, um, social services have gotten involved. And honestly, they, I think, have helped her, which seems that they somehow got her to the doctor and she got the help that she needed. She had some medical issues that she needed to be treated. And so, as you said, she seems a lot calmer. And even though she's still upset with us that we tried to take her to the doctor, it sounds like she is really sure that she wants the siblings to be together. And what did she say to you, Christine? I'm going to keep my promise. Yeah, she said to me uh, two nights ago that I'm going to keep my promise to you guys as long as you keep your promise to me. And I'm like, wow, okay, I'm not really sure what that means, but that's what we're going to do. And you know, she is communicating, uh, I would say steadily, not, not, as, not as much as I'd like on some areas because we don't have some of the information. I know that the two of you need to have some peace in your heart as to how baby's doing and size and weight and are there any issues that we're not prepared for that we should be prepared for. Um, but she has provided us some more information that I hope gives you guys hope that she has steadily maintained that commitment. And I think she followed up with you as well, indicating that she continues to want to stay with us for now. Um, and then we have a couple more weeks until delivery potentially, but all signs indicate that she's going to proceed forward with us as of now. And you may be wondering about the other family that was very hopeful to adopt the child and got thrown into the mix of everything. We did find out a couple days ago that they did adopt a baby. So they have their baby. And so we feel a lot of peace about that because as adoptive parents, we would never want to come in and steal somebody's dream and joy. And we know what that is like. And so that was really hard to sift through. We want to keep the siblings together, but then there's this other family, and is the baby supposed to go there? And so now we have our answer, and that just came about a couple of days ago as well. So as the story kind of unfolds, we're on call. We're waiting to see our agency here in Colorado. They know the situation. They're on call to get ready uh, for the paperwork they need to do on this side. Christine is doing awesome communicating with her. That's another thing that's huge is you're really great with birth moms. And so when she is escalated and we can't bring her down, you come in and she really likes you. And that's awesome. I mean, that is to us, that's a huge relief, right, Noah? Huge relief, yeah. And she will communicate with you and she'll talk to you. And so we know that in the hospital, you're going to be there. Yeah, I'm guessing probably more than I want to be in this situation. (laughs) I have a feeling she's going to want me really close by during the entire process. Um, And I'm a little squeamish in the stomach, so I'm hoping she doesn't have expectations of me being in the room with her, although if she wants me there, I'll be there. This has been a special situation because this birth mom, for whatever reason, she initially trusted me even when I thought she should probably not trust me, meaning we hadn't had a relationship before. She hadn't met me except for on the phone. But she instantly, when we, you know, I took two of my staff and we pulled into into her house, in front of her house, you know, she walked out with a big smile on her face and instantly was like she knew me forever. Uh, and I thought maybe this is this is her style, this is her personality, but as I've gotten to know her, this is absolutely not her personality and it's not her style. So I just want to say, you know, definitely the Lord opened, the, opened her heart it, to the extent that he could to be soft towards me because it, if she had been combative consistently like she has been at certain times with me, this would be really difficult because I do have to communicate communicate with her fairly frequently, almost daily, sometimes multiple times a day. And when you have a birth mom who 
show signs of mental health or show signs of drug use, you never know what you're going to get. So you have to mentally and emotionally prepare every time you pick up the phone what's about to happen. And often they just need to, they just need to get it out of their system, whatever it is, and you just hope that the bond of trust that you create stays there until the placement is, is finished and you maintain any promises you make to the birth mom even after placement. Um, you hope that the, in this case, because there is a sibling you know, connection here, that we hope that no matter what happens, that this person all knows that this was the right decision for her, it was the right decision for the baby, and it's absolutely the right decision for the child that you already have to have the sibling, to, to have these kids together. So I'm, I'm still hopeful. Very hopeful. We are hopeful too, and we keep praying. If somebody wants to get a hold of you and they would like to be on your list and be a family that you would uh, present to a birth mother, how do they do that? All right, so two ways to get in touch with our office. I'm located in Tallahassee, Florida. Um, the first is to contact us directly. My office number is 850-765-9285. We also have a website, um, com, and that's T H. U-R-M-A-N-L-A-W-F-I-R-M. We have an adoption uh, link that ties into a whole other website that does nothing but adoption. So if you want information, you can go there about profile books and paperwork and how Florida law works. But you can also just email me, christine at thurmanlawfirm.com. My staff will pull these emails and we respond as quickly as we can. What are your average costs for adoption? So if it's an interstate adoption, meaning that the adoptive family is also in Florida where ICPC is not included, fees can range somewhere between $7,500 and $12,500. Uh, the, the range of that depends on what the birth mom expenses are and some of the circumstances around the case, whether we are doing the home study through our office or if that's been done outside. So that's the range. So if there is going to be an interstate placement, meaning that we are either sending the baby from Florida to another state, we call that an interstate compact case. ICPC is the agency that works out of Florida to coordinate with the other agency at the receiving state. So if we have an ICPC case, that cost is in addition to the general fees. That can range anywhere from $1,500 to $2,000 just depending on the state that's receiving the baby and what their expectation is, meaning paperwork varies state to state dramatically um, on documents that they're going to need, paperwork and the you know they want to see. So those fees can range. But I generally tell everybody somewhere between $7,500 to $12,500 is about the range you should be at if you're working with my staff. Which is substantially lower than any other agency I've ever heard. They're usually around twenty five to 45000 So to be able to connect with Christine is such a blessing for our family, and we hope that it will be a blessing to your family. Thank you so much, Noah, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Christine, for your time, and thank you for working so diligently on this case. We will keep everybody updated on what happens with the baby. We, again, like we said, are on call, and we just don't know what's going to happen. But to have your support has been huge to us, so thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for trusting me to get this done. Don't forget to like Adoption Now on Facebook, and remember, all of our podcasts are available on iTunes. Thank you for tuning into Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week. Thanks for joining us for today's Adoption Now. 
If you would like to tell your story or for more information about Adoption Now, visit the website at adoption-now.com or find it on Facebook. And join us next week at the same time as we share another adoption story on 670 AM KLTT.